And welcome back to our baseball broadcasters talking baseball. I'm Doug Greenwald, joined by the radio voice, the only radio voice ever of the Round Rock <laughs> Express, uh, Mike Caps. And uh, Mike, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, hard to believe that uh, last season was the 20th of uh, the Round Rock Express. I remember going the, the first year when I was with Shreveport and Round Rock was double A. Mike, uh, am I imagining things or can it really be 20 years? Yeah, it uh, would have been 21 except for this virus so yeah it's, it has been and it's uh it, I was, karen and i were talking about this last night how quickly it's all gone by but uh it, the quickness has been replaced with a little bit of slow moving wondering when we're ever going to get a chance or if we will or what's going to happen here yeah and uh before we talk more about round rock um how are you and your family and what have you been up to during this uh extended time at home well you know I've, I've been doing a lot of work uh with the team and and uh that's done here at home of course and and uh i'm working on a second book and uh let's see what else we got well we got uh we got family here so we have our own little bubble uh, my wife karen and me and then my youngest daughter who works at ut she's working out of her house and uh, my uh, stepson Bryce is a lawyer at Keller Williams, and his his wife Kate is a teacher at a private school here. And our four year old grandson Sam, and we're able to get together and uh, two three times a week and have dinner and stuff. And that's been a, a real salvation in this. But uh, working on the book and working uh, and just talking to people and catching up and making sure everybody's okay. You can you can easily put 12, 14 hours in, and then it's time to go to bed. So you're still employed by the time uh, by the team uh, right now. Yes. Okay, because obviously there's been some guys that aren't, and some guys who aren't. Glad to see that you're still uh, working. So uh, uh, you mentioned family time, and uh, yeah, I know that uh, that's obviously huge with you. And I love the pictures on your resume because your grandkids you've passed on baseball. Uh, uh, much like your grandfather did to you, exactly. uh, you've been doing the same thing. And I love seeing the pictures of your grandkids who come up in the booth with you. Well, there's a great story about uh, one that's not not seen in that picture. His name is Reese, and he's uh, a 12-year-old, and he hit five homers in consecutive games, uh, five straight days. And his mom called me to tell me about it. She said, but there's a real problem with this. And I said, what is that? She said, well, he's been backing out of the batter's box and pointing to center field, and then he hits a home run. So I said, put him on the phone. And uh, his grandpa gave him a pretty good dressing down about this next year. He's going to be in Pony League, assuming they play this year in Corsicana outside of Dallas. And uh, he pulls a stunt like that. He's going to hit get hit right in the ribs. Oh, I don't think they do that. I said, let me tell you something. You never show up the other team. And uh, so we had quite a spirited discussion about that. And I don't, I don't think anybody will ever see him pull that stunt again. Just let me say that. But the rest of them are doing great. And uh, uh, my daughter that lives in Corsicana with her husband, who's a banker up there, they have, they have four, three boys and a, a, a daughter and the, the oldest grandson just turned 17 and he's having to finish his high school career. He'll, he'll graduate a year early 
probably in June or July. So he, he's been really busy working his computer, finishing up his high school. And so uh, everybody at our house and everybody in our families are, are great. My oldest daughter, who just beat grade three breast cancer last year, actually is back at work. She's an eye doctor seeing patients in Atlanta. And they, they have quite a setup with with PPE and, and face masks and all that sort of thing. And uh, they have only one person in their office at a time. So that's that's about as, as safe as they can be. And everybody else is doing great. Good. Well, we salute your daughter on, on having beat breast cancer and uh, was- wish her and all uh, uh, great health. Uh, you mentioned your second book, um, can you talk about that, or is that a not a right lot, now? Doug? I mean, there's a, there's 85 profiles in there, and I really don't. Uh, it an agent has it now, and so we're uh, we're in the midst of trying to shop it around, and we'll see what where where we head with it. But uh, I think you're going to like it. I think it'll. It, it's not the same kind of book as as the scout was. I mean, the scout took 84 days to write. This is going to take two and a half years. Okay, well, look forward to seeing it when it's completed. Uh, let's talk about that first book. I know it came out many years ago, but uh, uh, deals with uh, Red Murph, the same scout who founded Nolan Ryan, uh, who's the same man for whom you've worked for the last 20 years, meaning Nolan Ryan. But uh, uh, what led you to uh, uh, digging into to scouting, at least writing about uh, scouting? How did that come well, about? Uh, Red had scouted me in high school and junior college. And, uh, I ran really fast for him at, at a select tryout camp after my senior year. And I really wanted to hit against the five best pitchers from Texas. They were auditioning for the draft. This was the Montreal Expos. And I got mad when I, I couldn't hit after about an hour of waiting and I leave. Well, when Nolan comes to the Rangers, I'm working as uh, the sports director for the ABC affiliate in Dallas-Fort Worth, and I was putting together a documentary on Nolan coming to town. And I remembered Red. I called him up at his home, which was then in Brenham, Texas, and uh, I told him who I was. He said, well, are you any kin to Billy Caps, the Chicago Cubs scout? I said, second cousins. He's, he's just a hero of mine. He said, but son, I know you from someplace. I said, yeah, I guess you do. And I, I, he, he made me, this is 20 years after this camp. And so I said, I really do need to talk to you about Nolan. Well, I'm going to be uh, scouting Todd Van Poppel in Arlington tomorrow night. I'll, I'll meet you in the ballpark. So we sit across from each other as the uh, photographer setting up his gear. And Red takes that bony old finger and pokes it in my chest and he said you're the dumbest sob i've ever met in my life now i'm going like what what and he says no 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 yeah uh you ran two three eights the first base for me and two six four sixties remember i said yes sir and he said well what you didn't know was we were we we knew that we were the only ones on to you we've just been watching you since you were sophomore high school we just didn't see any other scouts there and he said, uh, but what we were going to do was try to slip you through the draft. The draft was like five days after this camp. 
slip you under the draft and sign you as a free agent and see if those legs would play. And he said, I always thought they would. And he said, but there's a second reason you're the biggest dumbass in the world. And I said, oh, great, there's two. Yeah, there were, he says, there were 12 Division One college coaches who came up to me wondering where you went, and I couldn't tell them. <laughs> so he gives me a scout's card and asks me if I'd be interested in, in doing some part-time scouting work and helping him run off run off uh, trial camps, and sure I did. I did that for seven years with him until he finally retired, and I finally hit a hit a wall at, at uh, CNN when I was a correspondent there and, and needed to get away from all of that and quit CNN and wrote a book, and that got me into baseball and ultimately into baseball broadcasting. That's the way that went. Yeah, obviously a different path than uh, most of us, and uh, you mentioned – CNN and all your years in TV, whether it be Houston, Dallas, or uh, St. Louis, and that's taking you to being a, a police reporter uh, or a crime reporter to yep. the first Gulf War uh, to the Branch Davidian. Uh, I mean, that that's not even comparable to, uh, you know, a bases loaded situation of the ninth when you're covering things like that. Uh, just how much did you learn or I mean, share that experience. That could be for a whole different podcast, but uh, just uh, as much as you can about what that's like on the uh, front lines in Waco or, or overseas. Well, Doug, I did that for 22 years. And uh, somebody asked me once, how many uh, deaths did I think I'd covered through the years? And I, it, it, it's hard to know. I mean, with Houston in the six years I was there was averaging like 700 murders a year and uh, you had all sorts of police malfeasance going on and all this kind of stuff and uh, big time fires. I mean, I got hauled out to the hospital four times within six months. Uh, building collapsed on me. I breathed too much uh, gas at a, at a, at a refinery. Fire. A lot of stuff going on. And uh, I just woke up in the middle of the night. Uh, and I had the bedpost in my hand and I busted my head wide open and it, I had, I had serious stress issues I had to deal with and, and, and did. And I've told people this many, many, many times. Uh, had I been the dark soul that I was in the news business, you don't realize that, that I worry about correspondents who are stuck over in war zones right now and these kids who are in covering all this coronavirus. You have no way as a human being, um, we're not wired to accept or deal with uh, violence as as we see it on the streets in wars or cop beat raids. And gosh, I must have run two dozen narcotics raids with police in Houston and been shot at probably twenty times. Um, and and they go, "Well, forget it." I mean. <laughs> too many times to count, but you just don't have a way to deal with that. And and so what you do if you make the mistakes that I made, you stuff it and you put alcohol or drugs on top of it, and then sooner or later it's going to blow, and it did, and I got fixed. And that's the Cliff Notes version of how that how this baseball all came to be, and it's a blessing for me every day that I walk in. I think about where I came from and what happened. And that makes it even more special. 
How long were you over when you were covering the Gulf War? Uh, how long were you over? Uh, what country specifically? What and where? Uh, how long were you over? Started there? in Saudi Arabia. Uh, went home briefly for about ten days, and then was back the day after the forty-four hour. Uh, they called it a war. It was it was over very quickly, and uh, that I went back in the mountains of northern Iraq where the you may have heard the term peshmerga well that's those are the the uh, kids in northern iraq who who formed a militia there were two three thousand of them trained by the british royal marines and i was with them gosh months and months and months going on raids uh, against the iraqis eight months total Doug, was uh, the time and the last day there was was wild. Twenty of us were trying to get into a town in far northern Iraq near the Turkish border that supposedly had been liberated, and it hadn't been. And uh, word got out that there were twenty uh, journalists from all over the world out in the road trying to get into this town, and so there were two two truckfuls of Republican guards surrounded us, and they had their they had their AKs and they had bayonets to our throats and somehow, some way, by the grace of God, a couple of A-10 Warthogs, the, the anti-tank airplanes that the Americans flew, buzzed those guys. And that was my last day in theater. It was scheduled that way. And we just, we, we drove to Ankara and flew home. And that was it. Well, amazing, amazing story. The most... Uh... Uh, unique, I think, of any of the broadcasters. And where where did you live? Where did the CNN put you up? Over? Well, uh, when we were in Saudi Arabia, the first run through, uh, we were in a hotel uh, in Dahran at the Air Force at the Air, Air Base there, where all the American uh, aircraft sorties were run out of. And then we moved to a roadside hotel kind of thing in uh, on the Turkish Iraqi border but most of the time was spent in tents up in the mountains uh, while we were covering the, the Peshmerga and their battles with the with Republican Guard well amazing and uh, you know uh, that you, uh, what you got over to cover and what you have seen from the fire lines of inner cities of United States to obviously overseas and uh, major, major stories. and uh, But it goes back to your first true love of growing up in Texas and and uh, baseball. And uh, as I said, you know, how much your, your grandfather uh, uh, was, was an influence and uh, on you. And uh, obviously led you eventually back to, to broadcasting. And uh, like so many uh, young broadcasters, uh, who send notes out to, to folks or put phone calls in. Uh, Ernie Harwell, you know, the great Tiger voice and Hall of Famer and uh, originally uh, got his start in New York, in uh, Brooklyn. But, uh, uh, you know, it wasn't for that phone call with Ernie Harwell, who knows what you would be doing in terms of baseball broadcasting and just well, talk about kids yeah. influence. Well, I had already uh, had been offered – and took a job uh, with the Tyler Wildcatters in the Texas-Louisiana League when I called Ernie. But Ernie is 
or was, God rest his soul, one of the all-time great human beings, not just a great Hall of Fame broadcaster. But I just, I just, on a whim, one morning, I thought to myself, you know what? I just read who Ernie Harwell's agent is. There's a fellow named Gary Spicer up in Michigan, and I got a hold of Gary somehow, just called and got him and told him who I was, told him what my background was, and that I'd idolized Ernie since I was a little kid listening to him on WJR. You could hear it in East Texas where I was raised, and, and uh, could I please speak to him? I, I got out of the news business and, and uh, headed to the baseball business, and it was six hours later, and Ernie called me on the phone, and I was just absolutely ecstatic. I mean, we talked for, gosh, I guess a couple of hours, Doug, and you know, Ernie was actually on that naval vessel when the Japanese surrendered to the U.S. in 1945. And he was a correspondent for Stars and Stripes. And he wanted to know my reaction to the things I saw in the run-up to and the Gulf War and and the kids of Pesh fighting the Iraqis. And then he told stories about some of the things he'd seen as a stars and stripes correspondent. And it was, and, and the, the friendship developed. And so, uh, this is in the early, early days of the round rock express when we were down in Kissimmee, Florida, of course he was over in Lakeland and I'd go spend two, three hours every time I was there with, with Ernie and Miss Lulu, and uh, it was just a grand, grand friendship, and I got concerned about him when I heard he had cancer, and I called him up, and he said, don't worry about it, it's in God's hands, I'm good, and uh, don't worry about a thing, and so I haven't worried about a thing about Ernie Harper since, but I sure do miss him. Yeah, I think we all uh, miss him, and uh, just as I say, what a great... uh, uh, story. We're joined by Mike Caps, the uh, radio voice of the uh, Round Rock Express. And uh, uh, Mike, going back to your time uh, with Round Rock, uh, uh, as I said, I remember the first year of the Express, the first uh, handful of years was double A in the Texas League. And mm-hmm. you guys jumped right on it, uh, you know, with uh, Jackie Moore as the manager in 2000 and uh, great players that uh, uh, really helped the formation of the first. Astros pennant winning team in 2005, but guys, uh, you know, came through Round Rock, Roy Oswalt, uh, really being the, one of the uh, main guys uh, that was through there in the early days. Uh, but uh, take us back to 2000. You guys won the Texas League championship. Keith Ginter, uh, you know, a big part of that. Uh, Morgan Innsberg, uh, Brooks Conrad, uh, guys like Brooks, that. Uh, Brooks didn't come along until that 2000. Three or 2002, I believe it was. But you're right. There were a lot of guys who came, who became really good players with the Astros in that 05, first time they ever went to a World Series. Of course, we had Chris Burke who came along in 03. Innsberg was an interesting cat, and Ginner both. Um, Innsberg kicked three ground balls on a rainy night there in Shreveport. And then turned around, and, and we fell very far behind Shreveport, if you'll remember. And and when Morgan hit home runs at three straight at bats, 
and that that won the game and we're talking to him bill mercer was doing the game with me and we were talking to him after the game and he said i just decided i'd been such a schmo and that was his exact word uh defensively i was not going to let us lose that game and he didn't and that's sort of the story of that team that whole year i mean guys would just step up i mean uh we won the first half el paso won the second half we're out in el paso and this is the final game and we take the lead in the 11th inning colin porter hit a home run over the center field wall in that old ballpark out uh just across from fort bliss way out in the desert and they came and they had they had the tying and go-ahead runs on and a guy named Walt Weiss hit a low-line drive to center field that Colin Porter came in and made a diving catch on, and off we went. Uh, two plane flights, El Paso to Dallas-Fort Worth and Dallas-Fort Worth to Wichita, and we were in the finals. And the next thing you know, we end up in Round Rock on the third high school football Friday night in Texas, and we had 11,000 jammed into that place. It was way before they had that second deck uh, down the left field line built. And there were cars, as far as you could see, on Highway 79 out toward Hutto. And anybody who was coming in the ballpark could see cars all the way back as far as you could see the other way toward Interstate 35. It was a crazy, crazy year. And uh, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say it was a Steven Spielberg ending to that. And, and I think it was the way we ended up winning it. Because, you know, we were really struggling at the beginning of that season because uh, San Antonio had a really good team. And it turned around when Oswald came up to us May the 25th of 2000 for a one time and one time only, we were told, start. And he shut San Antonio down, shut the door on them. And they had some really, really good hitters. And that's when we began to turn it around. He struck out, I can't remember, 12, 14 guys. And they were going to send him back to Kissimmee, to high A Kissimmee in the Florida State League. And Jackie Moore and Nolan and Tim Papura, who was the farm director then, the assistant GM then, uh, they, they, they talked Tim into allowing Roy to stay. And Roy just, I think he lost two games the rest of the way. Of course, we didn't have him for the playoffs because he went to was it the Olympics in two thousand. Yeah, I guess. And and um, but it was just it was one of those magical seasons that Steven Spielberg ending. I can't every, every time I think about that season, I think about uh, there was a sports writer who who is no longer with us named Michael Point, and he he coined that phrase. What a Steven Spielberg ending. And it really was. It really, really was. And Express beating Wichita that year in the finals. And I certainly remember Michael real well from uh, mm-hmm. uh, my time going to uh, Round Rock. Then and a year later, it, it looked like Round Rock was going to get back to another Texas League title. Uh, I remember I was there in Round Rock uh, because the Shreveport season had ended. I was there September 10th, 2001, and Arkansas had taken the uh, first couple of games in that series. Uh, I was at the IHOP right off I-35 uh, the next morning. I was going to go that night to go see the Giants and Astros in Houston. Um, so I stayed the night in Round Rock and uh, was eating at the IHOP the next morning and overheard 
some people next to me talking about a plane going into the World Trade Center, and it just didn't seem believable, and we thought maybe it was a, a helicopter or something by accident. Yep. We all know what happened after that in our world. Uh, much smaller scale on the baseball side. It was supposed to have been game three of the Texas League Championship Series. What do you remember about that morning uh, where you were? And obviously from there, I know that the rest of the baseball world got postponed or at least in minor league. I was living in a hotel right across the freeway from that uh, IHOP. And something woke me up about 645 seven o'clock in the morning I looked turned it on CNN and there it is I mean there's smoke coming out of one of those towers and I'm thinking wait a minute and they say well they think it's a light plane that got off track from New Jersey or and I'm thinking nah that no 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 light plane won't make that much damage in that tower those things are steel and concrete and that no 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 and I hadn't been awake a minute. And here comes the second plane and bam. And I thought, okay, that I thought so. We're under attack. And so I start calling friends. Uh, I lived in New York at that time in the off season. I started calling friends in New York, telling people to get home immediately. Uh, talk to friends of mine in Texas. What are you going to do? I don't know. I hadn't been in the ballpark. So I get up, put my clothes on and go over to the ballpark. And it's very few people are there and sat around, sat around, sat around and no decision was made on that till late in the afternoon. And the next thing you know, here we are and we're done and we don't get to finish it out, which is, which is, which is fine. I got, I understand that, but it was such a, and the team we had was not, not quite what that first team was, but I'll tell you this. It was close. And we had a boatload of come from behind winds, and we were down two, two, two games to none in a series in San Antonio and won three straight. So we had the kind of team that could have come back, and I think probably we would have. But that said, this it was a very numbing feeling because – as it turned out, I lived right down the street from the fire station that really took the biggest hit in terms of number of firefighting fatalities. And I knew a lot of those guys and it was just like, God, craziness, craziness. And, and, you know, Karen and, and, and Bryce and Kate and I were in New York probably about four or five years ago. And we went down to see that that new building and the monument that's down there, and it's just spectacular. And uh, mines, and my mind being off center anyway, I just remembered going down there and and the smell of it that the a week afterward, and and the whole thing was just just bizarre, just bizarre. Changed the world, is what yeah. it did. Yeah, it it did, and uh, you know those listening. I mean, people want to know what on the more more trivial side. Arkansas was rewarded the the uh, Texas League title because they had won the the first two right. games of the 
of the series. But I, I share that story every time um, that either I go to Round Rock or the years that Round Rock comes to play Fresno that, you know, that's the always question asked, where was so-and-so on 9-11? And, well, you and I were both in Round Rock, Texas that morning. Uh, on a more positive note, your ballpark, uh, one of the best uh, around. Play, uh, there was no. Uh, what it's like on a warm Texas night. I mean, it, I always just feel like it's the the Dell fun it is to to capture the essence of uh, of the families that come out to to round rock and the, the that it's you're not literally in a unity and it's just uh, uh i'm sorry are you there yeah um it, 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 look we still have you? We're, yeah. we're really fortunate can you hear us the way that, that our organization came into Central Texas. Um, they couldn't reach an agreement with Austin, but Round Rock had open arms, open, open arms. And uh, the Ryan Sanders group and the city of Round Rock had formed a coalition that I think very few major league or minor league organizations have. And that is they work together hand in hand knowing they want to improve that ballpark every year and make it special. And they, they, they have a meeting at the end of every season and they go to work talking about, we're going to do this, that spiff it up, uh, make this change, build this building, take this one out, whatever. And it's kept it fresh. I mean, we've seen ballparks in our league and you know, this, that we're just allowed to, to founder. And, and they lose something when, when they're not kept up. I mean, it's, 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 it's just the nature of a building. You either keep it up or it, it, it becomes obsolete. And we've seen that happen in our league. And they have not allowed that to happen in, in, in Round Rock with Dell Diamond. And I think it's a, a tribute to the work that Ryan Sanders and the city of Round Rock has undertaken together as partners and it just it, it, it makes it such a collegial place and um, you can walk the concourses before a game and it's it's like going to a state a big state fair there's that much excitement and then um, you know it's always been called uh, round rock sport front porch people develop friendships we're now in the second and third generation of people coming there and it's just it's crazy to watch kids grow up. I mean, John Danks, who pitched in the big leagues for the White Sox, was a bat boy there that first year. I mean, it's just and, and it's just a kind of a uh, continuing to give back, and and the area is growing. They're putting a huge, huge nine hundred unit hotel and and uh, largest water park, indoor water park I've ever seen across the street from the ballpark that'll open in twenty twenty one, and that will help. Uh, and it's just, and it's all, you know, there's a, a huge amount of people in those two counties. 
and I hear estimates between uh, 2.5 and 3 million people in the two counties. I don't know if that's correct or not, but but when we're not in lockdown and there's traffic, it's this big time traffic, and there's six million between Georgetown and San Antonio. So it's a it's a vibrant area, and it's one solid city between San Antonio and Georgetown now. It, it just is, including Austin, right down that Interstate 35 corridor and the 130 corridor, which is a tollway off to the east. It's just a growing, growing, very vibrant place. And, you know, tech is huge here, and it's just it's uh, off the wall, a cool place to be. And that ballpark is just a bright and shining emerald in the middle of that place. Well, it literally is like Field of Dreams because the ballpark's built on a prairie and you can see cars from sure. uh, miles and miles. Well, Mike, certainly appreciate uh, uh, your time. And the one last question I have, and I ask this to all the guys, and uh, uh, aside from the art of play-by-play, um, and, and calling games every night. Take that away for a moment. Just what are you missing the most and, right and now falling uh, about the, not being at the ballpark? Falling into the, the, the motions and understand, you know, you're up at seven, study for two hours, work out for two hours, go to the ballpark, study some more, uh, and visit with players, visit with scouts, visit with managers, coaches, that that one-on-one people part of the business that makes it so attractive, uh, I really do miss. And, um, you know, I'm closer to retirement age than not now. I'm hoping to keep going for about 10 more years. But, but I really don't look forward to retirement. I really want to keep doing this because it's so much fun and it's so it, – it's just so collegial – and, and it's so Americana to do what we do, I think. Yeah, and uh, that's the thing that I miss the most. And you, you just said I get a great cross-section of answers of what we miss the most aside from being on the radio. But that's that 6 to 6.45 hour where we're chatting with scouts and getting the dirt from them and just getting to uh, prepare with each other to get to know our teams. And Round Rocks has such a great setup in your press box because you're so cordial to the scouts. I don't mean just you, but your whole staff. And that helps us. We help them. It's, it's uh, uh, a great uh, time. Well, Mike, uh, good Wait health to you and your family. And uh... Are you there? Okay. Doug? I'm here. You there? There's one other thing, very important. You were talking about yeah, field here, of Mike. dreams. That ballpark was yes, actually built on a cornfield. Yep. Dell Diamond. So that <laughs> it is a field of dreams. Okay. Well. Yeah. No, it's uh, the best place to to go watch uh, baseball and. Uh, it's great many dreams, whether it be your dream, Dan's dreams, John Dank's dream as a bat boy, and many players' dreams who are at the Dell Diamond when they're told they're going to the big leagues for the first time. So yep. it, it really, uh, uh, you know, uh, income levels. Well, again, uh, Mike, appreciate uh, all of it, and uh, we hope that uh, we'll have uh, baseball this year. And uh, as I say, continue good health to you and all. 
Okay, I, lo I apparently lost you. I really appreciate you having me on.